Hi, I'm Mark Washbourne, CEO of ReadyTech, and welcome to another Worked podcast. We've been away for a while, but we're really pleased to be back and ready for another great episode. In today's podcast, we explore the big topic of skills, the skills and pathways needed in a digital economy. We'll dive into how we should be thinking about the environment, the settings, and the capabilities required to deliver the right skills to individuals, not only for our economy, but also for the jobs of the future to help to build a thriving community. And so to discuss the big topic of skills today, I have with me Craig Robertson, CEO of TAFE Directors, Australia's peak body for the multi-billion dollar public skills and training provider that is TAFE. What you're about to hear is a wide-ranging and future-focused discussion with Craig about the increasing need for training to skills and not jobs, the role TAFE plays in the global marketplace of education, and some human stories of both Craig's own career journey and why he connects so deeply with education and training, as well as its ability to transform lives for the better. I really hope you enjoy the discussion. So, welcome, Craig Robertson, CEO of TAFE Directors. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've really been looking forward to talking to you. My pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about jobs and careers and skills and and digital and everything in between. Uh, Would you mind by start by telling us a bit about your own story, the story of Craig Robertson and uh, your own career journey to here? Great. Thank you. Look, it's great to be part of um, this podcast. I started as a university dropout in uh, Western Australia and uh, um, I enrolled at university and did everything bar studying and so after two years then West Australian Institute of Technology now Curtin University said they didn't want me on their books anymore so I then um, joined the, the public sector and that naturally gravitated me to Canberra eventually um, and then sort of by accident I fell into the vocational education and training area um, right at the time when the Australian National Training Authority uh, was being closed down. So that was about 2004, 2005. And essentially, in various positions, I've been involved in in VET ever since. Seen a bit of change across the sector in that time? Uh, Well and truly, but at the same time, the core of VET hasn't overly changed, which is really about giving people an opportunity, regardless of their background and their educational um, credentials, to be able to really skill up to build their opportunity in life. And at the core, that hasn't really changed, despite a whole pile of government um, policies and reforms over the years. Yeah. And uh, I've observed you being part of the the TAFE movement for the last few years, and it really comes across you have a a real passion for the sector. Is that really where it comes from? It's the enablement of the individual through their career? Yeah, the thing I found really fascinating when I um, started in the vet world is it's like peeling back onions in some way, peeling back layers of onions, because uh, I always like to get to the bottom of things. I'm a bit of an um, analyst at heart, and I've always wanted to try to understand what's been the full sort of construct of, of vet. One of the things that bedevils vet but gives it its really... Um, it's, it's really rich colour is the variety of purposes it serves and the variety of students that it sort of receives and uh, prepares. Um, so I spent a lot of time just trying to understand how all these things uh, fit together. But at the core where I've landed is we have a lot of people coming into vocational education and training to either kick off their career 
And if anybody's kicking off their, on their career, we want to be able to make sure they've got the right skills, the underpinning knowledge that sets them up for success. So that's almost number one. But number two are those people who, for whatever reason in their life journey, haven't had that educational background or whatever, and they're trying to start on their own learning journey. We often call them second chance learners. I don't necessarily like that term. But VET is the one that's got an accessible educational model uh, that can let that person take even a tentative step and then um, sort of go further in the learning in the learning journey. It's quite interesting. Well, about middle of last year, I went back to went to a couple of our TAFEs and asked for some stories around their skills and job centres. This is in Victoria, and I got one response coming back saying that a lady had walked past the Skills and Job Centre, which is really on the main street, on three or four occasions because she had to build up the courage to be able to go in and say, I'm interested in um, trainings. Such was her reluctance or sense of lack of confidence about being able to engage in learning. And surely that's the power that we've got to think about vocational education and training because we're not going to survive as a country if we leave half the population behind. The real challenge for us in this really high-speed changing world is that we give every individual the chance of success. Mm. Oh, that's a, a, a really beautiful thought. I think that uh, I really wanted to ask you, I think I really start with a big question, <laughs> is that the world of work, I think the way work is performed yeah. and, and, and skills are required are changing rapidly. Every industry arguably has been digitised. Yep. And uh, should we throw a global pandemic in there for good yeah, measure? Because right. it was happening before, right? Yeah. So, uh, just really interested in what your what your worldview is, and you know, really the big picture. How are you thinking about the future of skills uh, in uh, in the future workplace? Yeah. So there's no doubt that sort of digitisation and automation is going to come, and some people say, well, maybe it's not going to really be the case. But if I go back and look at my social and work history, so. Believe it or not, in my younger days, I was a Sunday school superintendent. And the way I had to produce worksheets for that Sunday school was to use a cassette. So I actually thought in my early days, I was really good at using a cassette. And there are probably people listening to this who don't even know what a cassette is. Um, it was essentially a, a stencil that you would type on. Um, uh, you had to be a manual type writer so you could punch of a, the, the stencil, and then you'd put it through a printing, sort of a, a, an old-style printing machine. Well, that started from Gassetna. I then worked in the public sector where um, photocopies were sort of unique and new, then word presses were new, then individual PCs were new and all that sort of stuff. So technology's going to continue to, to play a role. And my view is out of COVID, as most companies try to think about recovering and think about new business models to get to new clients and new forms of profitability, will look to technology in various shapes and sizes to access those opportunities. Because after all, during the COVID, they've, they've used it in some ways and they've probably been sort of open to the potential of these sorts of things. So it's going to come more and more. I'm probably surprised at just how, how they were able to adapt Somewhat, I would imagine, as well. Many, uh, many correct. Businesses, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I think everybody has then seen a lot of our business models involve interaction of some particular form, 
um, and that you can easily use technology. And of course, there's global technologies and all that sort of stuff that's just going to continue to play through. I guess the challenge we've got is how much do we train for the old world versus prepare for the new mm. world? My view is, and I've heard some people say, well, you know, we've got to make sure that you know we can keep the old world working, but we all want to point towards the new world. So I think it um, behoves us as sort of in public policy, particularly in VET, that we are preparing people for uh, the new world. Mm. Now, that's often difficult to determine what is the new world. Um, my view is, and I'm a bit of um, the fan of the, the previous Australian uh, chief scientist who sort of said, you've got to learn the underpinning theory and approach to how technology um, applies. And that's what I think we need to be able to make sure that we give that opportunity across a large swathe of the workforce so they can sort of understand what they're doing when technology comes through. Mm. I think the other big narrative that's happening is in a world where it's expected there'll be more of a requirement for ongoing upskilling and reskilling. The, uh, the demand for shorter bursts of learning uh, and, um, and thus shorter courses and of course the, the trend of micro-credentials. How are you thinking about the educators that you work with being able to adapt to that new world and also I'm sure that they're also thinking about what business model looks like in that world. Mm. There is no doubt that micro-credentials are going to grow as part of the tertiary education landscape, and indeed they're going to come into the schooling landscape as well. They're also going to be global in nature um, because of global platforms and, and the like. A couple of points I think that are important. I do worry that micro-credentials are sort of the new fashion, um, and it's for the, those, those that, are, that are trendy and um, trying to sort of keep up with um, latest trends in technology and the like. And there is a high risk that we leave a whole pile of people behind in that process. So my sense is from a public policy viewpoint, we've got to be able to make sure that anybody leaving school and chooses to take a post-school uh, tertiary education pathway has the requisite base knowledge around technology um, and the like, um, and and foundation skills like literacy, numeracy, and the like. Because if they've missed out on that in schooling, then they miss out on it again in tertiary. They have real problems down the track. Yeah. Um, and micro-credentials risks alienating them even further because micro-credentials assume that you come with some degree of learning or ca capability to learn. So I think that's sort of step number one. We've got to make sure that everybody has that base capability. Yeah, and assessing for that base capability. And, and, yeah. and, and yeah. assessing for that base yeah. capability, well and truly. Mm. And then let micro-credentials flow mm. right across the world, right across industry areas and the like, because you're right, we'll all be wanting and needing to um, learn new skills and the like. But if you don't have that base capability, um, that is going to be a particular problem. Because one of the real challenges that faces the vet sector at the moment because of its uh, construct around qualifications, people worry that it gets too atomised mm. already. Because we've all got to learn underpinning principles and the like before we can be good practitioners. So we've got to be able to make sure we do that first. 
and then let micro-credentials run. Mm. Now, it's some, some, something I've learned from the Digital Skills Organisation is around the role, they've been doing a lot of work, as you know, around the role of the, of the data analyst. And the shift I think that they've helped me to make in my mind is, of course, the data analyst isn't, isn't just a job role. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a skill or a set of skills that are going to be required across a whole range of, of jobs. And that could be, for example, in our finance teams mm. or, you know, in engineers and, you know, it's, it's, or in um, project management and so forth. So it's that shift away from potentially from the more occupational side of way of thinking about training uh, to, to a skills and skill sets is it feels like there is an evolution that needs to happen there. Uh, well and truly, and let me give you a couple of sort of examples of the way that I try to think through this. Um, when I'm trying to fix something at home or or whatever, um, I try to think about I've got to get step one to ten, I've got to go and find step one to ten and all that sort of stuff. My son will just give it a go. If that doesn't work, he'll try something else. Um, whether you call it plug and play or whatever, it's yeah. just that sort of mindset that that's how you, you experiment, you get some dead ends, but you then try again. It reminds me back when I was in the public sector and believe it or not, things called Microsoft and um, new emails were coming in and uh, you'd end up with a new version of the operating system for Microsoft. And there'd be people saying, well, I need to go on a five-day training course <laughs> to be able to learn this Absolutely. and all that sort of stuff. And you saw the young person come through. As soon as that platform became available on the desktop, they were there experimenting and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. And that's almost how we've got to be able to change um, our mindset. The world of work and even most of the, 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 the world we inhabit is not really linear anymore just because there are so many factors at play. You've got to be able to have that capability to be able to work through that. And the way I play that out into the vet world um, or the world of work, um, I remember the story when some of the automobile assembly plants in Victoria were closing. And, of course, the Victorian government was very concerned about uh, workers being transitioned. And I well remember one story of a person who worked on the assembly line who then transitioned into a hospital into their... Um, into their area that did all the cleaning and sterilising of equipment. And his statement was, I knew in the automobile assembly that I had to follow steps and process and had to have QA on all that sort of stuff. I've translated that attitude and approach to this hospital setting. So it's really that deep underpinning element about yeah. what, what, what are the key elements that we need to be able to make sure that people have got mm. and understand. And I know I've heard you speak about this recently. Is the view around training packages, particularly, and potentially being less prescriptive and having less control over exactly uh, the, the the exact skills that are learned, and uh, somewhat less prescriptive means that I think that you have maybe better transferability, and also where the world is moving so fast, how do we ensure that the training stays relevant? So, mm. you want to share a bit about that? One of the elements that play out in our training package system, which really is about trying to guide teaching and learning, is that we've ended up putting into them this element, what I'd call work breakdown structures. It sort of says these are the tasks and these are the dimensions in which that task can play out. Now, what we've got to think about through AI 
even just straight digitisation and automation, is a lot of that stuff is going to be automated for you. Because if, if, if you as a worker have to follow a set set of processes to be able to get to an end point, surely that's replicable through uh, technology. The important thing is to be able to understand why am I doing it in this particular way and, and the like. So the march of technology is going to make all of that specification almost redundant. Um, but you're still going to need people who have the sort of the underpinning knowledge and understanding of how this bit of technology or this process works into a business process um, and the like. And I think what we've tended to become caught up in in the vet world is we think about vet graduates as operators, not as thinkers. Now, those who are strongly attached to mm. the training package world will say, oh, no, 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 hang on a tick. There are these knowledge components, etc. But a lot of those knowledge components are really decontextualised from the learning experience. Um, and there's no guarantee that we're bringing all of that together within a learning construct. So I think we do need to think from a learning viewpoint, we've got to flip the model in some way. And I think what we've got to do is get over this sense that we've got to specify everything because we can't trust the training sector to deliver. And I think that's where some of this sort of specification has, has come from. I mean, I want to learn so that um, I can be adaptable and productive. Um, and I don't want it to be that I just want to learn that I'm just going to, you know, turn the widget or, or turn the dial or, or whatever like that. Now, there'll still be jobs where process and all that is important, so don't, don't get me wrong there. But in the main, we've got to become uh, clever at what I sense is being an integrator in the way that we think and the way that we work, because it's going to be a platform of technology, regardless of what area we're going to work in. And where the integrator using that technology into a production or a service process for the benefit of the work that we're doing. And that could even involve um, nursing, uh, healthcare, and all that sort of stuff. There's still going to be a huge technology uh, platform there. So we've got to be understand the technology, understand how to use it to our advantage to streamline what we do in any almost any production process that we're going to be involved in as workers. Uh, that, that just makes a ton of sense to me. I'd like to talk about the, the TAFE sector that yep. you represent. And if you think about the consumer that's out there, it yes. might be the, the young person yep. you know, kicking off their career or someone reskilling. There's a huge amount of choice yep. you know, that they can. Uh, you could now jump online and do a course from Stanford University yep. or you could uh, look at a course from a huge amount of content from Udemy and Coursera yep. and the like, yep. or you could um, you could listen to a podcast, right? So yes. <laughs> huge number of ways now to learn. So how are you thinking about TAFE's role in all that in the future? And potentially, do they have some unique advantages that maybe others don't? Yeah, so let's, let's talk through the advantages. The first is their place in community. There are around, there are over 600 delivery points across the TAFE network um, in, in Australia. And regardless of the march of online, most people probably say, if I need to learn, uh, I need to be able to go to a, I need to go to a learning place somewhere. So let's say that's still uh, quite an important uh, dimension. 
And so it is important that we have um, a shop a shop front really for people to be able to come in and at least have a face-to-face conversation to talk through what their skilling journey is. Um, now that might then lead into um, a blend of uh, in classroom delivery mm. and um, goes back online. to that point of where the assessment needs to happen as well, right? To understand the um, where they're at. Uh, correct. Well yeah. and truly. Well and truly. And and particularly if if you have had a less than satisfactory experience in learning, um, or even if technology is um, a little bit um, unknown to you or mm. you're unfamiliar with it, the sense of saying I'm going to go online and um, do all of this sort of stuff. For us who do it for every part of our every day, or part of our life, um, it's probably pretty easy to be able to do that. But I think in Australia, we have lost sight of the fact that there is a there are a lot of people who haven't been educated to a high degree, um, and the like, and who are probably reluctant in going into learning, or have been part of a learning experience and probably haven't uh, really uh, experienced success. We've got to try to bring them back in. I hear stories from several uh, Victorian TAFEs about the success of their free TAFE uh, movement. And often what they're finding is that as people that have said, actually, even the small fee that would require me to go to a non-free TAFE course has acted as a barrier. The fact that this is free and that I can come has actually um, triggered them to come to come into into learning, so so I think place and access to place um, is important to be able to bring a whole pile of people into learning. The second element is that we still need to be maintain the core of our practice, which is really uh, training people up for a whole pile of jobs that are really critical to the economy. If we're all brain surgeons. Um, and nothing else, we're not much of a country. So we've got to be able to make sure we bring this broad range of um, people along. And that's obviously the, the trades, but it's uh, in the health and care um, industry, tourism, hospitality, you know, right across the board. That's where a lot of people um, make their start in life. And so we've got to be able to make sure that we do that. The third element, which is sort of the sense of technology and online, is we've got to try to be at the forefront of where technology is leading the skills requirements. And what I'm meaning by that is we've sort of got to keep abreast of how technology is changing things. I remember a story of somebody um, who uh, was telling me that, talking to this person who was the previously the owner of sort of the second largest car dealership in Australia. And... Uh, they were making the story that, you know, really mechanics now need to become more, they're more electricians than mechanics just because of the nature of technology. Yeah. Um, so we've got to be able to keep up um, with that. We've got to be at the forefront um, of that. And so with that, you, you sort of got to be at the frontier uh, as well. So, uh, and I think that's, so they're, they're sort of the three things. And that forefront can be blended learning online or, or whatever. At the core of all of it is the deep cap- capacity and capability that needs to reside within the TAFE network. You don't magically create skills from a training package. You create skills from um, knowing the industry, 
knowing how to prepare a curriculum and knowing how to deliver it in a particularly productive way. Mm. Now, I found all that really interesting. And if you really come back to all that, and you were talking there about the, the connection to the local community, yeah. I think I read in your one of your recent mm. newsletters, you know, that that, that that TAFE is can be like the symbol in the local community of the importance of education, training, and learning, which I found really interesting, and uh, and also the connection to local industry, uh, as well as those development of those future skills. And if you put all that together, it's really actually about doing something for the public good and for social good, uh, and um, as opposed to let the market decide. Mm. So do you think that's also the future from a government and policy perspective? There is no doubt that most states and territories, of course, have got responsibility for funding uh, TAFEs and their ongoing operation. Um, we'll probably be reflecting upon to what extent can the market solve this problem, uh, and to what extent do you just need to be able to invest. During COVID, in fact, on a radio interview in uh, ABC in, uh, in Brisbane, uh, somebody came in and said, we we're talking about TAFE and, and, and the like, and somebody came in and said, well, there's private providers as well. And I said, well, there's not a problem with private providers, not a problem at all. Uh, but the way we need to try to think about it is maybe TAFEs are the public hospitals of the education world. Um, because they are the ones that have to be sort of the full service offer. They've got to be able to be able to expand to deal with um, new emerging uh, priorities and new um, new cases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that doesn't mean we have public hospitals at the expense of even private smaller hospitals or local surgeries and doctors and all that sort of stuff. We've got to be able to come and have a more nuanced view about what the role that TAFEs can play as the solid what Jenny Macklin calls the anchor institution, um, and but not make it an exclusive thing that it's either public or private. It's got to be a blend um, somehow. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you that, actually, because I've heard from you before that I, I think you're much more enlightened than to say that public is good and private is bad. What do you think are the really distinctive differences and future for the public and private space in VET? I'll go back to sort of the basic educational parameters that we are talking about. I think unfortunately where VET policy has got to is we almost make the assumption that if we can do a training package and keep a training package up to date, then the education will look after itself. And so I'm not making any criticism at all about industry that puts a lot of effort into training packages, but it's as if we've sort of forgotten that training packages are at best a set of standards. The real rubber hits the road where you end up with quality um, education and, and a quality educational experience. That's what triggers change and skill acquisition. Um, so that's, that's what we've got to be able to do. So I think what we've got to be able to do as an education sector is actually say we want to make sure that everybody who's operating in the field has got a strong commitment and a strong capability in education. Every bit of regulation and all that sort of stuff almost doesn't test that at all. So that's what I think we need to be able to do. And maybe I'll be a little bit controversial here. We would probably wipe out half the training providers in the sector if we started on that uh, mm. on that front. Um, and people will say, but hang on tick, we shouldn't be trying to do that. But the real key for lifelong learning is learning to learn. Um, 
and we've got to be able to make sure that's a key feature of our of our vocational education and training system. I should also add that I have been in sector for a long period of time. I'm not anti-market. I think we should have a blended market, but you know, I just sort of see the complexity that we that we head to. I actually think it might be simpler if we say the vet sector consists of those people that are delivering vocational education, which is broad and deep, mm. and there is a range of providers that can include TAFEs that are delivering training, because no doubt you still need training to, to work safely mm. and um, for forklifts, responsible service of alcohol and all that sort of stuff. I think we went with that sort of nuance and that sort of split Trying to be, rather than trying to be one size fits all, would actually solve quite a few of the sort of the fundamental problems that seem to bedevil the vet system. Mm. And another area, a huge part of, of vocational education, of course, is the apprenticeship area. So I'd like to understand how you're thinking about the value of workplace learning in the future. And when I think about some emerging companies, and let's say software companies, for example, probably probably don't have the the sort of DNA of apprenticeships woven into the fabric of, of companies like we have in some of the more yeah. traditional areas where apprenticeships have been very successful and and geez haven't the haven't the government stepped forward with apprenticeships yes. in the last 12 months. Yep. Uh, so um, and I think for that if you think about a, say a technology company for example probably not really thinking about a long-term investment in an individual Often they have a need as of today, and they want someone to come in and, and you know work for and been able to hit the ground running yep. and get into that very quickly. So, how are you thinking about the apprenticeship and workplace learning model into the future? Yeah. So, if we think about uh, apprenticeships, they have been a sort of a, a structured learning model that's been in Australia for, for hundreds of years almost, mm -hmm. um, and it'll be difficult to try to think about um, changing that. The beauty of that model is where all the players in that framework work to the best of their ability. That is the training organisation giving um, leading edge training off the job mm. and then the employer and the apprentice on the job really being able to refine and practice um, those, those skills and learn them in the context of the business model. So that's the power of it. Um, now, the problem with our apprenticeship and traineeship space is it's obviously very regulated, it's got time dimensions attached to it. In the fast, rapid changing world of technology as you're talking about, you just couldn't imagine saying, well, I'm taking somebody on and I'm going to take four years to before they complete what I was going to train them on at the, be at the beginning of those four years. The cycles are just way too, too quick for that. But that doesn't mean that work integrated learning or workplace learning is not important in that in that area. I just think we need to be able to be a little bit uh, clever around it. What I think we have to do though is build up the capacity for the learning on the job. At the moment we say, apart from outside of apprenticeships and traineeships, we sort of say, yep, go and, go and work on the job. And everybody sort of crosses their eyes, as closes their eyes, crosses their fingers, and hope that will be okay for both the employer and the individual, with very little support provided for that. Um, and we know um, that there are some some workplaces that are good, some workplaces that are not. So I actually think we need a bit more work on that. Now, there's actually a bit of regulatory work that needs to apply there, because at the moment, what's going on is everybody's saying 
The only skills that really matter are those that are that are acquired or refined in the workplace. Um, and to some extent, I, you, we could argue over that. But what ends up happening is the RTO who's got to certify that person is responsible for making sure that that learning in the workplace mm. meets all the requirements of training packages. So the, the, the responsibility and the cost on providers is getting more and more. Um, and so we have to think through the, 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 the balance of that. The best example I've got in some ways is um, there's a lot of pressure to be able to say, let's say in the care space um, and in the nursing space, you've got to have a certain number of hours on in, in a workplace for clinical placements. Don't have a problem with that at all. But when you look at technology now, particularly in these simulated um, wards that most TAFEs have got, for example, I was at um, Chisholm TAFE the other day in, in Frankston. Their, their um, uh, simulated patients um, have got so much uh, technology that what you do is you come with your laptop, you plug into the, to the, to the, to the dummy in some ways. That sounds really odd. But, um, and then you go through a whole pile of um, practice sessions um, to, to refine your skills in, in nursing. Mm. Now, what they can do, of course, is say, well, I'm now going to put a heart attack in the middle of that. And the, the way that the student responds and all that sort of stuff is covered in that um, uh, and is tracked on that computer application. So you can do all of those sorts of things. So you can simulate far more than you could ever simulate or that you could ever experience in a, in a practice, mm. in, in a workplace. Um, and then, of course, what they do is they all... Um, they finish their practice session, they go back into the classroom, they can say, well, actually, this is what we should have done versus what we did do and all that sort of stuff. So that's the chance to get really good reflective practice. Now, I'm not saying that substitutes for going into the workplace, but surely there can be a different balance that can play complimentary, out. Yeah. And complementary in some way. Yeah. Uh, we've talked a lot about digital. Just <laughs> really interested to ask you, and it's our focus here at Reddick, yeah. of course. Uh, what you see as for TAFE, some of the challenges and, and opportunities uh, in, the, in the digital world, and maybe some examples of uh, what, what you've seen that's work, working well. Yeah, okay. So, so digital has the potential to change what is linear production processes completely um, on, on its head. Um, and so we now need to be able to show people how... Um, what is a linear process can be restructured in a particular way um, and, and the like. So I think what we need to be able to, to do is to start giving people those underpinning sort of understanding of how digital can work um, and the like. What, what are some examples? Well, apart from the, the role that's being played out on um, uh, enrolled nursing and simulated wards, etc., like that, um, there's lots of work going on in South Australia and WA, for example, to support defence industries. Mm. If we think about the investment that the government has got for defence industries over the next 10 to 20 years, um, there is going to be a new capability required in the yep. labour market. Now, we often think, oh, well, that's going to mean um, more welders and fabricators. Not a problem at all. We are going to need those skills. But... All of that technology, all, all of those sorts of um, machinery and everything, the defence material they're going to be producing is going to be driven by 
technology. So we're going to need strong um, technicians and the like. As in, as in our mining industry? Uh, uh, correct. And that, the that's exactly, industries, yeah, yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what's uh, going to be going on um, there. And so the, the other good example talking about, about mining, we often hear from people saying, you know, those big yellow trucks that they have on mine sites that are now being driven or being guided from, you know, 100, 200 or 1,000 kilometres away, really. Um, but when those machines are maintained, in addition to mechanical work, there's more um, uh, technician electronics work that's required as well. So um, they're the sorts of blended skills that we're going to need to be able to bring to people um, really to be to help industry continue to be productive. And one of the last questions, I think, for the future success and the health of TAFE yeah. is actually about talent. Uh, and uh, maybe sometimes this gets lost and not talked about enough, but how does the TAFE sector think about, you know, in a world where you need to keep refreshing and, you know, very great and new modern digital skills, attracting and retaining, you know, great talent and attracting young talent as well to the sector? As in teachers and... Teachers uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh, good, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good question. My sense is that... If you are a learning institution that's pushing the frontier of um, learning but also technology, that will be attractive in and of itself. Um, If we're learning institutions that are really teaching yesterday's kit and yesterday's technology, I can't imagine young people wanting to be able to come through. The second aspect is, uh, and this is an issue that sort of all governments are trying to think through now, We all want to work in our own life in a way that we feel fulfilled and we are achieving something and we can show initiative and judgment. That's what we all aim for in our working life. Unfortunately, what's happened through, uh, for whatever reason, we've ended up with just such a degree of specification within what needs to be delivered. Many teachers and trainers feel as though they are just there doing a tick and flick exercise, where's that educational dimension uh, come from? There has to be a freeing up there uh, to be able to drive towards that. And some people say, but hang on a tick, the the teachers aren't capable and all that sort of stuff. We've just got to give them a go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the heart of teaching and learning is wanting to teach um, and help people learn. So if you free that up, I reckon we'd be amazed about what would be, um, what what could, and should be achieved. So I actually do think that we we've got to let go a bit, and we would be amazed at what would uh, what would 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 play out. Yeah, that's really interesting. One last question for you, and there's been some really, really great insights today. It's been fascinating. If there was one thing, one thing about the the TAFE sector, um, uh, let's call it vocational yep. education skills sector, one thing you could change, what would it be? I would uh, allow a lot more flexibility at the local level to be able to design um, courses that were more suited to um, uh, to local circumstances. Now, a lot of people go, oh, hang on a tick, but we lose uh, this sense of a qualification is portable and, and, and all that sort of stuff. I don't necessarily um, believe that because if you're truly responding to 
industry need or an individual's need, you'll be you'll be doing something similar to across any any part of um, any part of Australia. What we ended up with is a high um, uh, direction from the centre, and we've got to sort of break that apart a bit so that we can respond locally. And we have ministers saying that we're aiming for quality and excellence. You don't get quality and excellence. You certainly don't get excellence unless you let people go and um, sort of experiment and, and, and the like. So the question for us is how do we drive down that excellence without sort of um, letting the system go into chaos? And I'm sure there is some way that we can, that we can do that. So it is about putting a more trust in providers bringing the educational dimension back into our system, because after all, we're called a vocational education and training system, and then letting go, and but still having some different sorts of measures so that we keep, keep an eye on it. And I reckon we would be amazed at what uh, is actually achieved. The other element is, of course, these things are being achieved already, but they're sort of hidden because we're caught up in training packages and measuring this and doing that. But a lot of that local stuff is, is, is occurring and we've got to be able to celebrate that and make that more um, uh, common um, and accepted across our types. From a few things you've said, it really feels like we need some leaps of faith, but also some really strong leadership for the sector right now. Amen. We do need those. Um, uh, notice I said amen to your leaps of faith. Um, <laughs> preach, brother, preach. Um, the, um, yes, we do. Because in the end... In, in the end, we are about changing people's lives. And you do not change people's lives by a recipe. Yeah. You do bring a recipe, but you, you engage with that individual. You're helping that individual go from one point in their life to another point in mm -hmm. their life. And if we can achieve that, if we can achieve that value add, that growth in agency, so to speak, imagine how effective that is. So we, we could think through the vet sector at the moment, there are 4.2 million students that have learnt particular processes if we, if we sort of structure the vet sector that way. If we empowered those 4.2 million workers with a sense of knowledge and agency about what they could do, imagine how far more powerful um, that would be and the change that we could play um, in, in the labour market. And that's the power of vocational education. If we can um, teach them, or if, if they can learn um, those particular attributes, learn how to apply technology, go into their business or into a workplace and apply that, imagine just how much more productive we would be um, as an economy. And I do bring it back to this sense of agency. Um, and that has to be what we need to be able to do. And that does require a different sense of letting go about being so constrained about what can be taught and not taught and all that sort of stuff. If we can free that up a bit, we would be amazed mm. what we would achieve. Awesome finish. That was really inspirational <laughs> finish, actually, the power of that. So, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. As I say, it's been really interesting and I've learned a lot. I particularly have learned about gazetteners and I'm thinking I might hop on eBay I'm going to try and buy you one. <laughs> See if they're still a bit. See if you can still operate it. Yes, I'll give it a go. Good. Thanks so much for coming. Easy. No problems. Thank Thanks, you. Buddy.
And to you, the listener, I really hope you enjoyed the discussion with Craig Robertson and found it a thoughtful reminder of the importance of our collective imperative to get ready for the future of skills. For more on the Worked podcast, please visit readytech.io slash worked and subscribe on your favorite streaming service to never miss another episode.